There's a story about how the flaming chalice came to be the symbol of our faith community. It's a story grounded in justice and mystery. You see, in 1940, as the Second World War was spreading throughout Europe, the Unitarian Service Committee was hard at work. The Unitarian Service Committee coordinated with Unitarians here in the United States to donate clothing and food that could be sent overseas to European refugees who were cold and hungry. When they got to Europe, people from the Unitarian Service Committee set up their headquarters in Lisbon, Portugal. They soon discovered that almost no one over there had heard of them. Even though there were Unitarians in Europe, no one the US Unitarians met seemed to have any idea what a Unitarian was. Meanwhile, an Austrian artist named Hans Deutsch was living in Paris. He was known for having drawn satirical cartoons that made fun of Nazi leader Adolf Hitler. When the Nazis invaded Paris, Deutsch, Deutsch, you got it, had to, <laughs> had to flee for his life and wound up in Portugal. There he met Charles Joy, who was the head of the Unitarian Service Committee. Hans liked what the Unitarian Service Committee was doing, and soon he was working with them. He wrote to Charles Joy, telling why he liked working with them. He wrote, I am not what you may actually call a believer, but if your kind of life is the profession of your faith, as it is, I feel sure, then religion, ceasing to be magic and mysticism, becomes confession to practical philosophy and, what is more, to active, really useful social work. And this religion is one to which even a godless fellow like myself can wholeheartedly say yes. From the Unitarian Service Committee headquarters in Lisbon, Charles Joy and his staff not only directed relief work, but they helped Jews escape the Nazis. They directed a network of secret agents. Secret agents, Unitarian secret agents. Just <laughs> think about that. Now you'll notice that by helping Jews escape from, government that, from a government that hated them for their religion and big ways of life, the Unitarian Service Committee was helping maintain freedom of religious belief. But Charles Joy faced a problem in his work. The Unitarian Service Committee was not well known, as we know, because Unitarians were not well known. And this caused some challenges for their relief workers and their secret agents. So Charles Joy asked Hans Deutsch to make a symbol for this service committee. Why a symbol, you might ask? Well, Joy explained, he needed to make the service committee documents look official, to give dignity and importance, and at the same time, to have a symbol that symbolized the spirit of their work. When a document, was when a document could keep a man out of jail, Giving him standing with governments and police was important work, and it was important that it looked important, he said. It is also true that that symbol was often put on a window to show that that home was a safe haven for those who were fleeing the Nazi persecution. So the symbol that Deutsch drew and that the Unitarian Service Committee enthusiastically adopted was a flame coming out of a chalice the kind of chalice that the ancient Greeks and Romans used. Deutsch thought that the holy oil burning in an ancient Greek chalice symbolized helpfulness and sacrifice. Charles Joy noticed that this chalice remotely suggested a Christian cross, which made sense 
because Unitarianism did indeed come out of the Christian tradition. So you see, mystery and justice. From the secret agents and refugees to religious freedom and hope, our flaming chalice continues to be a beacon of hope and inspiration. It can remind us that Unitarian Universalism sides with love, helping other people, working for freedom, and making the world a better place. Let's imagine for a moment that we're living in a very cold place, that we live in a farming society, and it's thousands of years ago, four or 5,000 years ago, in a time when there's no central heating, no electricity or gas, just a wood or peat fire that you bank up at night and hope will take you through the night. In the bitter cold of midwinter in a farming society, 5,000 years ago, you couldn't dig or plant. What you did was stay indoors by the fire and make the tools that you were going to need in the spring. And in the place that I'm thinking, you tended your sheep, which were a very important part of your economy and family, and you hoped they stayed healthy. Sheep are pregnant at this time of year. If the ewes, stayed healthy and the lambs were all born all right and given lots of their mother's milk, then you would have a good year and enough to eat. If not, you might starve. We know that these concerns were very important to people in certain places and times and something that they did to mark this time of year because in Celtic lands we have found stone monuments built four or 5,000 years ago that are carefully aligned with where the sun rises on February 1st, the middle of winter, the day halfway between the winter solstice, the first day of winter, and the spring equinox, the first day of spring. The Celtic pagan people in the lands which are now called Ireland, Wales, Scotland, and parts of France and England celebrated the solstices, equinoxes, and the cross quarters, these mid, mid, uh, days midway between. The one around February 1st was called Emolc, spelled I-M-B-O-L-C, because, you know, people like to mess with us with the Gaelic. <laughs> At the beginning of February in Celtic countries, the nights are still very long and it's cold. So on Emolc, the people celebrated fire the source of light and heat and power, and many people still do, including us here in our congregation. There are signs that Imog was dedicated to Bridget, the goddess of fire, and the matron of people who use fire, smiths, shapers of metal into those essential tools. And it may be that the holiday is called Imog because of the reference to the sheep and their, their importance in the lives of the people because linguists believe that the word means in the belly. When Christianity came to Ireland much later in the Middle Ages, the Christian church adapted the stories about the goddess Bridget. They told of a woman of their own time, year, born in the year 451, named Bridget. Her mother had been enslaved by her father, so Bridget was born into slavery. Maybe there really was such a woman who was named after a goddess of her people. 
A lifetime of generosity and leadership caused her to be declared a saint by the church. And in keeping with the goddess for whom she was named, Saint Brigid became the matron saint of blacksmiths. She established the first religious community for women in Ireland, in Kildare, giving women a whole new profession and a powerful role in that very patriarchal society. The role of nun, of holy person, of religious leader. It is said that when St. Patrick oversaw her final vow to become a nun, he used the wrong words. He accidentally used the words for the ordination of a priest. Now, of course, only men were allowed to be priests. It is still the case that people of other genders are not permitted in the Catholic priesthood. But when St. Patrick was told his mistake, he said, so be it. Bridget is destined for great things. When St. Bridget died, her sister nuns kept a fire burning in the convent, and it burned for centuries uninterrupted. They kept two kinds of power going strong, the fire of Kildare's hearth and their own leadership despite strong prejudices against women holding power. The Catholic Church added a holiday the next day, also in keeping with these themes of fire and power, called Candlemas. When people pray to St. Bridget, they say, Bridget of the mantle, encompass us. Lady of the lambs, protect us. Keeper of the hearth, kindle us. Beneath your mantle, gather us and restore us to memory. Mothers of our mother, foremothers strong, guide our hands in yours. Remind us how to kindle the hearth, to keep it bright, to preserve the flame. Your hands upon ours, our hands within yours, to kindle the light, both day and night. The mantle of Bridget about us, the memory of Bridget within us the protection of Bridget keeping us from harm, from ignorance, from heartlessness, this day and night, from dawn till dark, from dark till dawn. A neo-pagan of our own time and place, Starhawk, leads rituals for each of the quarters and cross quarters. She's a feminist activist for peace and the earth, and she creates rituals for these ancient festivals in order to connect the participants to the power of elements such as fire, to help them to feel their power, especially if they consider themselves or are usually considered by others to be powerless, and to remind them of the things that need changing in order to make a better world. She led a February Bridget ritual not far from here one year, the day before an action to stop the development of more nuclear weapons. And the ritual ended with each person who was participating making a commitment to action. The words of the ritual reminded everyone that we can use fire to forge the tools that will help us to make things better, that those tools are within us. They are us and our abilities and gifts. They said, sacred flame, flame of the forge, we have been tempered by red-hot rage and love. 
Bridget, bring us out of the forge. Give us strength and length, the form of a leaf and a cutting edge. You know, when we're working hard for a better world, we can get tired and discouraged. The legends of the goddess Bridget and Saint Bridget, along with the stories of our own flaming chalice and all that it means, remind us to keep the flame within our spirits burning, the way the strong women of Kildare kept Bridget's fire going for many hundreds of years. Now let us give and receive the offering that this week supports the work of this congregation. One week per month, it will go to our justice partner. And last week, we raised $1,300 to give to Stevenson House. Thank you for your generosity. And if you are a guest with us today, please let the basket pass you by with a clean conscience. What I didn't mention earlier is that the symbol of the chalice goes back long before the Second World War. We can trace it back to 1369 and a man named Jan Hus, who was a priest, a reformer, and a martyr born in Czechoslovakia. Although neither a Unitarian nor a Universalist, because of course this was before either of our denominations were born, Hughes lived and died by principles held dear within our faith today. A free and responsible search for truth and meaning, equality among clergy and laity, and the cup of salvation offered to all. Fire or flame is an ancient symbol that appears in many religions, symbolizing everything from destruction and rebirth to purity and wisdom. When we light flames in our chalice these days, we join with Unitarian Universalists across the globe. And while there isn't an official meaning of the chalice, nor are there official words that must be used when we light the chalice, sometimes we use the same words. I have been delighted to discover that four of the congregations I've served in the last decade have used similar words for their children's and family chalice lighting. And wouldn't you know it, you too use those words. Do you know them? Join me if you do. We light this chalice to celebrate Unitarian Universalism, the church of the open mind, the helping hands, and the loving heart. It's fantastic. <laughs> but how many of you, how many of you can think back to a time when you were attending a Unitarian Universalist church that did not light a chalice at the beginning of the worship? How many? Yeah, just a couple of us. I remember a time when Unitarian Universalist worship services did not start with the chalice lighting at all. When I was a child, we did not light a chalice at the beginning of our services. As a child, I learned the story of how the chalice came to be our symbol, the story I told you earlier. But that was all, it was just a story. Yet when we received mail from the Unitarian Service Committee, I would notice that they had a flaming chalice logo on their envelopes. Again, that was it. There wasn't chalice jewelry or clothing or mugs or notebooks or socks, as I was reminded earlier. <laughs> so how is it that it came to be? No one is sure 
about who the first Unitarian Universalist congregation was to do it. But we can recall that back in 1980, at our annual General Assembly, where Unitarian Universalists gathered from all over to learn and make decisions together, there in 1980, a chalice lighting opened one of the daily worship services. Hundreds of attendees from all over witnessed that moment, and so many brought it home to their congregations that it spread like fire. It took about five years before the congregation in which I grew up started lighting the chalice regularly. By then, I was in high school, and our youth group decided to light the chalice at the beginning of our evening meetings, just as we saw it lit on Sunday mornings. I remember noticing that when we visited neighboring youth groups, they also lit the chalice at the beginning of their worship services and youth group meetings. And by the time I left high school, the flaming chalice was commonly recognized among Unitarian Universalists. The chalice pendant that I wear around my neck was a gift given to me from my home congregation when I graduated from the youth group, and it is one of my most prized possessions. When I'm feeling scared and uncertain, touching it reminds me of who I am, and it grounds me in our Unitarian Universalist values. For me, lighting the chalice in worship or at the table before a meal reconnects me to each of you and all the Unitarian Universalists with whom my life has intersected. Lighting the chalice means different things to different people. For some of us, it is a connection to our siblings of faith, a reminder that we are not alone. For some, it symbolizes our search for truth and meaning. For others, it is a way to connect and reconnect to all that is holy and divine. For others, it is the hearth fire of a welcoming, homey place. For others, something else. Every time someone writes or chooses words for lighting our chalice, they add more layers, more meanings to our collective experiences. The meaning of lighting the chalice comes from us, the people, and what we do together. Some of its meaning going forward will relate to those ancient fire festivals Amy spoke of. And some of those meanings will relate to the Chalice and Jan Hus and other theological reformers who taught that each of us is sacred and connected to all that is holy. Probably those meanings were not in Hans Duch's mind when he created the Unitarian Service Committee logo. But today, by having this service on this day, we are making connections between all the things those festivals and fires meant and all that the Chalice has represented. So while there isn't an official meaning of the chalice nowadays, wherever you go around the world, Unitarian Universalists recognize the ritual we carry out at the beginning of our services. You can go to church in Nigeria or Transylvania, Mexico, the Czech Republic, the Kazi Hills of India, Scotland, just about anywhere, and they'll light the chalice and hopefully you'll feel the connections that exist between and among us all. Unitarian Universalists everywhere.